This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the latest episode of Kicking Back, a podcast by The Equalizer. I'm Jeff Kasuf, founder of The Equalizer, your host of Kicking Back, the podcast where we sit down with guests from across the women's soccer world to give you their stories on their careers and some of the moments which define them. Our guest today is Ali Riley, the captain of the New Zealand national women's soccer team, who just signed for the Orlando Pride after nearly a decade of club pro soccer in Europe. Ali is a California native. She played for Stanford. She played for a generational team of FC Gold Pride in WPS, the former league. And when WPS folded in 2012, she left for Europe. And she hasn't been back in the States since, so it's been almost a decade now that she's returning to Orlando, which is a little bit closer to home, even if still uh, a few time zones away. So Ali has had probably too many memories to count and to fit into just one of these episodes, but we do our best here to pick out some of the better ones from playing in a World Cup and an Olympics during her college years to playing for two of the greatest women's club soccer teams in history. Her time in Europe brought her new experiences, new languages, and what she sees as the next phase of her life after this. So we discuss all that, as well as everything Allie's working on away from the field, from vegan cooking to producing videos in her college days, learning TikTok now, hosting her own podcast. She's involved in a lot on and off the field. So some really fun conversation there. Really excited to bring you this episode of Kicking Back with Ali Riley. Uh, it features plenty of perspective on some of the more serious topics on and off the field regarding her career and the women's game in general, and some of those more hilarious moments that uh, I'm sure you're going to have a laugh at alongside us. So please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of this podcast, and be sure to rate and review this so more people can discover and enjoy it just like you. This is Kicking Back, a podcast by The Equalizer. So here with Ali Riley. Ali, thanks for joining me. Thanks for inviting me to be on the podcast. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, good to chat again. Uh, almost a decade since you've been back in the U.S. playing in the U.S. So back I here. I know. I was just talking to my parents and they said, oh, yeah, we met Jeff. I think it was <laughs> when you were playing for The Flash. So, yeah. Oh, that's a while. That's a good memory. Your dad, your dad used to be one of our top commenters on the the site, and uh, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I know he was he was reading. Um, well, I'm sure they're happy to have you back a little bit closer to home. You know, even if it's yeah, not. yeah, and I'm sure we'll talk about uh, talk about it soon. But that was, of course, one of the one of the reasons I wanted to come back. And I know it may seem silly saying that Florida is close to California, but it is a lot closer. And that three hour time difference actually right. does make a huge difference, especially considering, you know, what we're going through right now. And, and I'm really glad to have, to have them closer to me. Yeah. So, so those uh, listening, the, the quick rundown of a, a very long resume for Ali, um, 
I guess we'll start at Stanford, went to Stanford, um, have played, went in a WPS with FC Gold Pride and then Western New York Flash, and then has been in Europe up until now, signing with uh, Orlando Pride in February, uh, played in Sweden, Chelsea in London, obviously, and then Bayern Munich. Um, yeah, I mean, if we, if we can start there, Ali, what, uh, you know, nearly a decade since you've been in the U.S. here, why Orlando, why the NWSL, and uh, why come back now? So, yeah, obviously I had an amazing start to my professional career being drafted from Stanford after a very successful, especially last season, didn't, didn't win at all. That 2009 championship game was just on TV and I was getting some texts and I'm like, you guys think I want to remember that game? <laughs> but <laughs> the, so the first year, you know, it was a dream come true, able to stay in school with Kelly O'Hara, Carpel with, with Nicole Barnhart, out to, to Hayward playing our games and uh, just winning the championship. Obviously, the, the, the team folding was really sad, but, you know, I still was kind of riding this high, was rookie of the year, went with basically all my buddies to the team coming into the league at Western New York. Great setup there. Um, the Salins did a great job. So professional you know, then getting Caroline Sager on the team and, and Alex and the uh, amazing team just got better, you know, and, and then winning the championship again. So I think the league folding then and heading off to Europe, it kind of, it, it was traumatizing to a certain extent, you know, and I, I didn't, I really didn't want to come back. I didn't want to go through that again. I felt so much more secure signing long-term contracts in Sweden, seeing how professional the contracts, the leagues work, and having that stability, the security in Europe, playing Champions League. Um, and then, yeah, after, after making Sweden my new home and meeting my partner there and kind of establishing this, this great community there, I felt like I should, of course, leave. <laughs> so... <laughs> So yeah, then then going to Chelsea, going to Bayern Munich, and really just experiencing the height of the women's game and two very different kind of spectrums from you know Chelsea, who this relatively new investment, seeing them go from this non-professional, semi-professional to one of the best teams, especially all you know all the way around from the investment the players the advertising the promotion exposure media everything um probably one of the two three top clubs to be in for women in the game right now if you're looking at maybe a man city a barcelona um chelsea arsenal so i think seeing that and then going to kind of that old school the bundesliga where you know it's been around for decades and has had a uh, football-wise great reputation but you know it's a very big culture shock and and experiencing that and challenging myself with the language and the skill level there the intense pressure and I think when when Mark contacted me and and with this idea of coming back kind of halfway through my season in Byron um I don't know, something about it just felt like it was time to come home. And I think having pushed myself and experienced a lot of what I wanted to experience in Europe over the eight years um, with, you know, my parents are getting older, I'm getting older, wanting to be close to home and 
Um, and also, you know, I, I do want to settle down in Sweden one day. And this felt like my time to, to spend some years in the U.S. and build a new home and reconnect with the fans that have been so amazing and have followed me and supported me through the last eight years when I haven't been here and to come back and you know Mark was a coach in in the WSL so I had a lot of respect for him we tied Birmingham I think um tied and lost I think so I think I knew he was a good coach I knew players who had played under him had nothing but good things to say his vision for my role the style he wants to play the the style of the league I think I'm very suited to so there were a lot of soccer factors, but then the family one was a big one in my kind of personal journey and, and where I wanted to spend the next few years. Um, and I like the sun and, you know, talking to Marta and Alex, you know, we've been in touch for the past probably three years about, you know, is it time to come back here? What's it looking like? Because again, I still had this horrible experience with the league folding. So everything just came into place. And when I got that message from Mark, it was like, yeah. I think I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was kind of surprised myself because even recently you had mentioned kind of what you said there of, of having gone through that with Gold Pride and then the Flash and, and that's the league at large, obviously, which left, you know, in 2012, a lot of players in, in a mm -hmm. tough position. Um, does it feel like that was long ago enough? It's obviously a different league. Does it feel like enough has changed? Is that a big part of it? Yeah, certainly. I think I... I I made sure to do my research and of course I've been following the different teams and, and the different clubs. I know now we're kind of talking about a, a different situation with the virus and kind of what may happen. Um, but it, it, you know, that set aside, I think, especially with the allocation money coming in, you know, with off season housing being provided. Um, and I guess now that I have this home in Sweden, and I don't want to say that I was coming in here with like a backup plan, but you know, if, if something were to go wrong, like there, you know, now I know what's out there, it wouldn't be that same kind of really scary situation having to go to Europe and leave everyone, you know, my home now is a place with a great league and, and a great team and, lots of great teams um and and you know i i love playing abroad so i think that was kind of also and you know mark understood that and the club understood that as well um so i think i mean from what i've experienced here from the day i came and the media we had i mean the the front office everyone that i've met the staff and Mark has, true to his word, you know, his style of coaching. And of course, it's been very limited what he's been able to do. But I think the way he wants to develop his players, the, the dedication from, again, the staff here, I feel so supported, so well taken care of. The apartment set up just literally when I came in, rolling out the purple carpet, you know, <laughs> it was, and, and I didn't have that many expectations and when you've been to a club like Chelsea and, and Bayern Munich, you know, you, you don't know if the league here, what it's like. And when you sign, you know, and they just made me feel so welcome and the fans and it's, I love engaging with fans and being in the community. And obviously I can't be out there meeting people, but just being on social media and connecting with the fans, even the short time it's been, I, I feel so at home. So I, I obviously I can't speak for the other teams. I know where some of the, the Kiwi girls are playing and, you know, some of my friends 
um, from the U.S. And, and players that I've played with and against before. But, I mean, from what I've experienced so far at Orlando, this is – it's incredible. I, I love it. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> you mentioned uh, New Zealand there, we should say, for, for any listeners. Uh, obviously, the international side, too, that, that we'll chat about um, with playing for New Zealand. But I want to ask you um, a little bit more quickly on the club side. Um, you know, Orlando probably has – more comparable weather to California, I'm guessing, than any of your most recent destinations. But uh, <laughs> yeah, by <you> know, far, <laughs> what I mean, what was it for you going over to Europe? Um, you know, maybe not one of the early Americans to do so, but you know, one of the I think before really kind of a bigger rush, maybe. Um, you know, was that a bit of a, a culture shock? Obviously, Sweden left an impression to want to make that home for longer term. Um, what was that like going going over and how much of an adjustment for you? Yeah, it was terrifying. I, I'm still like, I can't believe I just went without knowing anyone on the team and signed for this team and I'd never even heard of Malma. But I think, yeah, addressing the, the New Zealand side, you know, when I was a senior in high school, I got on a plane and flew to Australia and met a team of players that I had never heard of never met a coach that I had never met and started playing for this national team in 2006 so I guess compared to that when I was how old was I then yeah 17 18 I guess it wasn't as scary but I think yeah the the language barrier is one of one of the hardest things and the most isolating things and Sweden is a country where a lot of the players or everyone can speak English and, and out when you're in the city, everyone can speak English. But still, when two Swedish players are speaking to each other and when you're in the locker room, they're going to be speaking their own language. So, um, but that really motivated me to learn the language and to become fluent. So again, I see that as, as a positive thing in the end after a couple of years. <laughs> and I think also the challenge, obviously coming out of feeling on top of the world with, my college career and my first two years playing professionally and then going to this team with European players that were at the top of their games and some of the best players in Europe that I didn't necessarily know and then kind of the it's assumed that you can you know whip a ball in with both feet and you can you know how to strike a ball and you know the nuances of tactical formations and all these things that aren't exactly emphasized in this country or definitely not at the time and while I'm really glad that I played this attacking fullback style for Stanford and, and for the Gold Pride and the Western New York Flash, but that wasn't necessarily like the standard way of a fullback to play then. I think it is much more now. So I think that was an advantage for me. But I, I mean, I could not hit a ball like these girls. I couldn't dribble, but like my technique, <laughs> it took a lot of work to kind of get up to that level. But then, I mean, my athleticism and, you know, the, the attitude, that kind of mental toughness, the winning mentality, that was what everyone was really impressed by. And so I think now, I think a lot of the, the leagues around the world and these styles, maybe Germany aside, and, and I can't speak for Asia either, but has come a little bit closer in terms of the combination of athleticism and technique, tactics. Um, and you see that in the way the style of the U.S. national team has really changed. So I think it was a, a culture shock, not just like the, the, the country, but also the football. And it forced me to improve very quickly. Um, and then again, going to Chelsea where 
that understanding, these girls growing up watching, you know, the best football in the world. Um, and then Germany was like another level playing rondos with those girls every day, the stress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So fluent in Swedish, you said, I imagine not enough time to pick up German while you were there. Or... No, you know, you'd be surprised. <laughs> People think that you should pick it up in like two weeks there, but I was learning. I had a, a tutor with my Australian teammate um, once or twice a week. And we, we were trying, I mean, you have to, because no one is going to take care <laughs> of you there. Um, and it was fun. I love learning languages. So that was, that was very entertaining, but yeah. um, no, I think I, I feel like I have a two language brain. So I'm right now I'm going to stick to Swedish and English, although I'm trying to pick up a little Portuguese from Tony and Marta. So we'll see. <laughs> Get that on the Duolingo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's a perfect segue because this is team number four for you with Marta, and I think um, you know obviously that that's awesome on the field. And I think people don't realize, especially I think those I didn't see as much in Sweden from from where we are, but like those two WPS teams, there's a lot of shenanigans off the field, right? Is that like you're looking forward to getting back to some of that? I imagine. Yeah, of course. We have so much fun together, and I think and even Aaron McLeod, you know, coming here as the, as the newest, um, with Jade Moore as well, kind of signings and having this history. I mean, these girls feel like family. And I think it, when you go from team to team, of course, it's hard to stay in touch with all of your former, former teammates, but you still have this bond that if you're lucky enough to come back around and get on the same team again, it's like you pick up right where you left off. And I think it's so great to, yeah, to, to be with Marta again, and I learn a lot from her. I like to think that I also can push her, you know, and I know her really well and demand a lot from her. But at the same time, she's like, I'll have the ball and you run. And I'm like, that works for me. So I think I think it'll be really good. And again, I it's hard to believe that Orlando, you know, finished where they did last season because this is a team of amazing players and the talent and even, you know, Alana and Emily, I've never met them, but I've played against them so many times. And now via social media, you know, we have this connection. And I think when we're all back together again, it's just going to be like gangbusters. We're going to have so much fun. And I also think the, the soccer I hope is going to be at a very, very high level. Yeah. So you've been doing, I mean, it probably helps that you have those pre-established relationships with some players because you've basically been doing these Zoom calls to meet some teammates, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. We've had our Zoom Zumba, Zumba. <laughs> we've had our, you know, 90s. I, we thought it was 70s. It ended up being 80s workout. We did 90s hip hop. And then we also have been having team meetings with tactics and, and you know, in smaller groups, by position so I've definitely gotten to know some of the other fullback wingback types yeah using using uh technology but I also arrived early for kind of the pre-preseason so any of the local players Tony Marta Ash and Ali were here said um the girls who got drafted so I, I was actually really lucky that I came early and was able to meet I probably now in person I've met 90% of the team. Okay. Nice. Um, well the, the team, um, I mean, you obviously haven't played yet. You haven't really had many or, or maybe very few training sessions before kind of everything shut down, but, um, what have you noticed at least from afar and maybe in these early, early days, 
a, a stark difference in when you left in terms of style of play? We talked about some of the off the field stuff, but kind of how play here has evolved. That's really hard because yeah. obviously, you know, back then I was only focusing on my team and mm. I still think those two teams might be the greatest club <laughs> teams that have ever been. And that's not even including myself in the picture at all. I mean, these players are so incredible, are still incredible. Um, all these years later, it's pretty cool to see how many of us are still, are still going and, and are still playing for our national teams mm. and playing professionally. But um, so I, I mean, my dream is for us to be able to play similarly to how we played in, what is that now? 2010 and 2011. Mm -hmm. But no, I think just, just the way, the way Mark coaches is very similar to what I experienced in, in Europe. So I, I don't know what it's been for the other teams and the other coaches. I know that it's a very transitional league and I think we would like to, hold on to the ball a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the style of play aside, I think it's more just the professionalism around the way players are treated, um, the accommodation, the facilities, um, our access to even going through this, you know, having the players union and the support while going through this pandemic. I think those are things that of course should be the standard but it's not in every country it's not in every league and it hasn't always been in in this country so that's been really encouraging and to be honest that maybe is the most important thing if you're looking at longevity you're looking at player welfare it's great if the football is is beautiful to watch but if players aren't safe aren't comfortable don't feel like they can manage being a mom player partner you know, business owner, all these things that we're all entrepreneurs, most of us, or studying or have other jobs, you know, in this, in this job, I think um, the most important thing is kind of the sport, the support system around the game. And that is where I see a very, very big difference. And I hope that's true from, for all the teams. Um, but what I've noticed in this team, absolutely. And that 2010, excuse me, uh, FC Gold Pride team, uh, 2011 Western New York Flash team, champions of that league, each of those. Uh, you had the front row seat to those. I'm sure you've been asked this before, but I mean, a lot of similar players, but is there a better team there? Do you, if you had to pick a team of who wins that game, even if you could clone people? Yeah, that's so hard. <laughs> Gosh. I don't know if there's one position. I mean, how do you compare a Camille yeah. Abelli and a Caroline Sager? I mean, two of the best <laughs> central midfielders in the women's game. So I think both were very, very exciting teams to watch as well. Um, looking at probably, I'm trying to think other ways besides just kind of the play. I do think that Albertine probably with the kind of team dynamic and being in the Bay area, Marta having, you know, the Brazilian support, that was probably like a more fun kind of, I think we were maybe more in our element again, being somewhere where it's sunny and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and then I think the off field being in Buffalo was a little bit different. You know, Sager always tells the story. Her agent was like, you're going to New York. And she was like, New York city. And they were like, Buffalo. <laughs> and she didn't know what she was getting herself into, but 
Um, and I also think, you know, the, the final we played in 2010 where we kind of just ran over um, Philly versus the 2011 when we had like 17 minutes extra time and went into penalties. I think the, that first season was like, I, I don't think it gets better than that with kind of, I think the one game we lost in St. Louis folded. So like didn't even count. And <laughs> I don't know. It was just for me that year is like so unforgettable for my first experience as a professional player um, and all the kind of things that went down. And I do think the second year, it does have a bit of a, a stain on it just because of what was going on at Magic Jack and, and the things going on within the league. So um, yeah, I think if you were to ask Marta, she always talks about the FC Gold Pride. And I'm like, do you remember this from The Flash? And she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> she's put Central New York, Western New York out of her, her mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I heard Carolyn Sager tell that Buffalo story on your podcast, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, she which, did. Um, so, so you host a podcast for folks that don't know. Girls with Balls, it's called. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple years old now at this point. And yeah. I, I'm just wondering, you know, you, I feel like you were doing like content before content was a thing, you know, on, on all the different platforms. You have a podcast. Um, what's your platform of choice, choice right now? Oh, I mean, I, I feel like Instagram is the easiest way to connect with people just because I love, like I read, I guess I probably shouldn't say this, like anyone who DMs me, I try to answer them. And you know, I just like, I really want, I'm putting stories out there, hopefully, hopefully to engage people. And I love, you know, with the music and I, I'm getting into TikTok a little bit, but it's, I feel like a little bit out of my depth. Um, but have, having the podcast has been so great because that's, I mean, it's a little bit less about engaging um, like a conversation with the fans, but I do think I try to always get my guests to answer crazy, funny fan questions. And I think it's the most amazing way to empower my guests to just brag about everything that they've achieved and talk about how amazing they are and these foundations they're start starting and these charities they're supporting or the organizations that they've founded and um, and then that they, you know, have a master's in this and they also have this project and they have this other job. And I think showing people, I, we we're all fighting so that one day it's a choice for women, for women athletes to, if you want to have to study at the same time, if you want to have to work at the same time, but you don't have to, that's kind of what we're working towards. But right now, while the reality is that most of us do have to be doing something else that we should embrace it and we're so accessible and and show people our lives so i think being able to kind of empower my guests to to show them how amazing they are is also very empowering to anyone listening and we all have our struggles and our demons our challenges injuries and that's something you don't even have to be an athlete to identify with that but i think my idea was basically just if any single person listening feels inspired, motivated, helped by it, then it was worth it, you know? And I'm right now I'm cutting it all by myself and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm paying for it myself and, and I'm happy to do that if it's just helping anyone. So 
that's been really cool. I'm very slow about putting them out, which I was like, I'm going to do two a month. And I was like, one every four months. But every time I do it, it feels like my little baby and putting it out in the world and the responses has, has been so, so good. And I'm getting to know my friends and former teammates, current teammates better than, you know, I thought I knew them. And then I learned these, these little kind of gold nuggets about them and it makes me even more inspired. So I, I love the podcast. I guess one day my dream would probably be able to do something more in like a talk show because I think the visual side is fun. Right now it's cool because people say like, I listen to it on my run or in the car when I'm commuting. So maybe if I were to film them, um, so it could kind of be both or just one day when maybe I'm not playing anymore to, to kind of see where that path leads me to be able to do kind of a real show and an episode with, with other players, um, either current or former. Yeah, it's really cool because I think most of the time it's an ex-player interviewing a current player in a lot of settings. And um, this one is current player, current player typically. So um, you probably have some more stories and kind of uh, behind the scenes stuff you can kind of share and poke at them about on on that front. Yeah, I, I, that's certainly what I'm trying to do. Um, and I always say kind of, I want to ask the questions that journalists don't or like can't ask (laughs) (laughs) and then try to make the setting comfortable enough, um, so that they want to share information about themselves that, um, isn't something you would normally do in kind of a reporting setting or, you know, a, a game setting. And it's just very, yeah, intimate and personal and hopefully, yeah, really helpful and inspiring to, to the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. I've enjoyed the the pod so far and thank uh, you. hopefully folks are enjoying this one too. And, and thank you for coming on this one. I, uh, um, I was looking back in prepping for this and I was laughing because I remember, do you remember, do you still run your website or is it just like, AllieRiley.com, is that just old and you haven't touched it? or That is pretty old right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because I remembered from, you used to like review us, which I thought was awesome. You had like an in the news section. Do you remember any of that? Yeah. I mean, this is kind of a team effort with my dad, of course. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because I was jo- I was laughing. There's like a 10-year-old thing for us for Equalizer, and it's got a bit verbose for podcasts. So we were like, I was laughing at it like, all right, we got to work on that. We got to work on that. Um, so that was cool, though. That was like a throwback to uh, 2011 and unfortunately some some blogs and stuff that are, are no longer around, but, but were cool back then. Okay, folks, we're going to take a quick break here for a few words from our sponsor. Oh, no, I know you want to hear more. We're coming right back. Stick with us. There's plenty more great conversation after the break. Here's a quick few words from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more of Kicking Back. Also back to sort of maybe even before that, um, we had about a year and a half ago, we had Dave Copeland-Smith, Beast Mode, Soccer on, and he gave us... He gave us the very long version of how you two met and the initial angst of sorts that you had toward. He remembers his... it a little bit differently than I do. <laughs> yeah, one wanted to get uh, your version of, because uh, that was kind of that time where, you know, you sort of started taking off with, with New Zealand on the international front or, or first started getting opportunities there. So, um yeah, we, I think the pod with him was like an hour and, and that was a long part of it. But, you know, what, what do you remember from those days? Uh, I don't know if you want to set the record straight on anything with uh, those days. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, Dave, I'm so thankful that he came into my life at that time because, you know, a little like I was mentioning before, I didn't know how to curl a ball or do a cross or drive. A, you know, I didn't know any of those things. Everyone just said kick and run. I mean, they're like, that's what you're good at. That's what you should do. And I do think that, you know, I wasn't a top recruit going into Stanford. And I think the time that I put in in that year, my senior year, I mean, I would show up to school early, train on the field with Dave, shower, go to class. If I had a free period, back down on the field, go back to class, and then after school, get in with him before soccer training started. And I mean, the amount of time we put in, and that's really what first, you know, got me, I think, helped me earn the starting position as a freshman at Stanford. And then also really prepared me for the international game and what I was getting into with New Zealand. And he really encouraged me to go and get on that plane and go play for New Zealand. And it, it ended up being a really tough time because my high school coach basically said, if you miss a game with us, then I won't play you. And I, was so I was thinking you know I don't want to let my team down I shouldn't play for New Zealand and Dave was just like this is an international career we're talking about and this is a chance that you you know that people dream of and and I did that and when I came back I don't even know how many games I missed or if I missed a game but the coach benched me um for my high school team and we were in the championships um and I yeah, it was a very long and dramatic story, but I ended up being able to play in the semifinal and the final, and we, we did lose in the final. But I think Dave was like a really big mentor and supporter for me. But the first time we met, he was the JV coach, and I was, uh, I was on varsity. So he wasn't, he wasn't my coach, but he came because our coach was gone one day. And, you know, I, when I was a freshman, I was the only freshman on varsity. So I had to take all the equipment and that's just kind of, and, and I, Dave and I were live on Instagram and everyone backed me up on this. Okay. So this was just, it's a rite of passage. And when I was a senior, there was like 10 freshmen. So at the end of training, I said, you know, okay, you guys get the equipment. And Dave said, no, you, you take everything. And I just was like, no, that's not how it works. And his, <laughs> His impression from that conversation was that I was a huge diva brat. And my impression was he was an idiot who did not understand the rules of high school soccer and college soccer, to be fair. So that was the first impression uh, that we had of each other. And then I think I saw his JV trainings and kind of the technical work he was putting them through. And we weren't doing any of that. And I wasn't really doing that with my club team either. And then ended up asking him to train me. And I guess he thought I was joking because I was this brat. <laughs> and, and then we ended up being such, such good friends. He's like an older brother to me. And I'm really glad that he's had the success he's had in, in the game. And, and now we see the game evolving. And same with the L. Averbush with her company, Techni. And I think I love that the game is moving towards a more technical style. And it's not like you have to be able to juggle a tennis ball, like that that's going to make you a good player. But I think if you can do that, you're more likely, you know, it's, it's nothing is going to be hurting you. And those touches on the ball and those are, I did not grow up with that at all. And I think I would be a lot a, a much better player if I had had that kind of coaching and that kind of emphasis. So 
I'm, yeah, I'm really lucky that even if I was already a senior, that Dave kind of introduced me to that and had his kind of that English style. Um, and yeah, I mean, I still follow his programs and am in communication with him a lot. So he's an entertaining guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, obviously, uh, I would say a smart choice there, you know, I'm sure you're quite happy a hundred plus caps later with, with, uh, going to New Zealand and not listening to the, the high school coach who didn't want you to, to go to those games. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I know you've talked about it a fair amount in terms of, um, you know, you've said through the years, people have said to you, you know, if only you'd played for the U S obviously, you know, grew up in California and, um, you've said at the time that wasn't an option. And at the time, you know, New Zealand was, they wanted you. Um, and, and by way of your dad being, being born there. Um, I mean, what, what is, you know, you look back now on several world cups, Olympics, obviously, you know, hopefully another one next year. Um, what do you look at in terms of what you've been able to do with New Zealand? How are you able to kind of look at that in a retrospective way? It's been the most amazing experience of my life. You know, I think it very much impacted my career at Stanford, having international experience going into freshman year, playing my first World Cup between my freshman and sophomore years and my first Olympics between my sophomore and junior year. So I had my first college preseason going into my senior year and I was like don't even think about making me do weird things <laughs> and um yeah I think but beyond the the kind of soccer side of it because of course we're not you know we're fighting to get into the top 20 and it's like we get in there and then we drop off after every world cup um and it's been heartbreaking really uh to play for to play for this national team but at the same time, I think the impact that we've been able to have in terms of building the sport in New Zealand and, you know, I, I honestly think the girls on the team are so talented and we finally have players now playing in France and in the U.S., in Portugal, in Japan, you know, the... I think we're finally getting rewarded for these players who are so talented, but just, just don't get the exposure and New Zealand is so far away and it's so tiny. And yeah, you know, when you play a tournament, even if you start scouts and clubs are always going to be looking at the bigger, the bigger nations, the more successful nations. So I think the type of player that I am now and, and the leadership role and, and the personality I have, not just on the field and off is very much developed by this experience of being that underdog and, you know, the lack of resources. I mean, we've heard it all before. It's kind of this, this whole thing with the, the women's game in general, but being one of those countries that I think where the, the sport, the exposure and that attention is like growing. I really think we're like the gap is getting bigger with the country like ours. And it's, we haven't seen that big push and we don't have more money. Um, but it's been the most amazing trips and games. And I mean, don't get me wrong. We, we played a quarterfinal in the Olympics and, and I believe that we can do that again. And we, we, I thought we outplayed Netherlands who ended up, you know, coming second last summer and we have our moments, but I think that kind of the duality or like of playing for these successful club teams and then the struggle and the fight of playing with New Zealand has been very, very eye-opening. It's kind of made me very outspoken about what I believe in and fighting for the game and, and fighting for my teammates. 
Um, and I mean, being the captain of, of your national team is probably the greatest honor to be given that responsibility um, to lead a country and to have, yeah, to represent a whole nation and to be there um, and, and building a close relationship now with Tom, who I think, you know, is one of the legends of the game as well. So, yeah, it's and I hope that it continues for many, many more years, but it's kind of a weird time right now. We haven't been together for a while, obviously, since the pandemic with the Olympics being postponed. It makes me really reflect and I miss the girls so much. And I, I respect this team really like what we are fighting for with what we have is very impressive to even be near that top 20, considering, you know, 4.5 million people and not a lot of resources, no domestic professional league, not even being counted, you know, as domestic players in the Australian league, which is something that we would love. Um, it is very, very, very challenging. And I think this, this World Cup was so heartbreaking because I did feel like we played really, really good soccer. Whereas kind of four years before that, it was like, yeah, we were okay. It was like, oh, we missed the penalty or, or the, China got a penalty and it could have gone both ways. And this was really like, I think we played to our potential and it wasn't good enough. But it kind of leaves you with a more like, more at peace, I think, because I, I think if you watch us, you see that we are, we are good, but the game is starting to progress and it's going to be hard for us to keep up unless we can kind of be successful at, at maybe now the Olympics. If we were able to get into that quarterfinals again, that could change the whole future of, of our team and the Federation and our sport in New Zealand. And if we don't, it could change it for, for the worst. So we have a lot of pressure on us every time we play, especially at these big tournaments. I know everyone says it's so unfair because we get in so easily when we play in the, in Oceania. But once we get there, I mean, we don't have the luxury of just saying like we went and like, I mean, our team could eventually not exist. I think if we aren't successful. Really? Wow. That's, um, and, and I mean, pressure too, you talk about it. There's the potential for three years from now, a co-hosted World Cup, New Zealand, Australia as well. So um, is that just a, I guess quickly, is, do you feel like that's a development thing then in terms of having players in the pipeline that it's a small nation, that there's not, there aren't enough layers underneath the senior team to make sure that that's sustained beyond what is probably, I'm guessing, the best generation of players right now that this group that you have? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the big issues. It's kind of from the bottom up, but then it's also kind of like, well, what is the Federation doing? And again, with a men's team that isn't qualifying for the World Cup and the, the money coming in, how do you then support, you know, and I think there are a lot of complexities that I, I dare not try to go into, but that is one. I mean, you have this core group of players that has been successful, Rhea Percival, Abby Urseg, look what she's doing here. And then you're like, we want, we want to be kind of like, pushed out we want to feel this but we're hanging on um and and are happy to of course and I don't feel like we're too old or anything but I think we're also feeling like you know what is this team going to look like when this group kind of it's going to be a big rebuild and how are we going to rebuild that and and to what end and and what will that look like and and it's scary um but we're, we're going to hold on for as long as possible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you've, you've talked a little bit uh, uh, through this, this sort of 40 minutes here about um, 
some of where the women's game has come from and is going. Um, obviously, you know, some of the stuff in New Zealand that has happened in recent years in, in the push for, for better resources that we just talked about. But um, even these past few weeks from, from us chatting here, we've seen FIFPRO with some extensive reports on the state of the women's game. Um, you know, is this sort of advocacy, is that something you see yourself doing more of, maybe even career-wise post-playing career? Yeah, definitely. I, that is kind of, for me, if I can help other people and um, speak out about what I feel we deserve and, and find solutions to a lot of problems um, that we have in the game in general, on the women's side, on the national team level, at the professional level, I, I would love to be involved in that. And, um, you know, Sarah Gregorius, one of our centurions who just retired, she played that hundredth game and she got out of there <laughs> and she, she's, uh, she's working at Feed Pro and I, I mean, I'm in awe of her and just the fight that goes into it. And it's exhausting, you know, but I think the more women we have involved, the more former players who have been there, who know what players need and what we want. Um, and I think, yeah, the more, the better. And while I don't, Right now, I'm not sure, you know, exactly what I want to do. Um, I definitely will be someone who will, will be involved in that side of it and pushing to make sure that the, the future generations have it better than, than I've had it. And I feel really lucky to still be around. You know, I think of the players who retired right before this time. I mean, this is the, by far the best time in women's football ever you know and I and I of course you would hope that as time but I mean I think it's gone like this I think the the excitement around the women's world cup when we're you know the statistics with the viewership and all the the sales with jerseys um the attendance records I think this is by far the best time to be a women's soccer player and I I mean I'm not that far off that that cut of players who kind of maybe yeah you played two world cups or you know you were there through the wps played abroad a couple years in the nwsl and then you're like yeah you know i i gave it a good shot and so i hope that we can take this and in in five years and ten years we'll be looking back at this time and being like oh we thought that was good but look where we at we are where we are now with player welfare um and salaries and benefits maternity leave all of these things that are still we have such a long way to go obviously looking at the u.s fight and and their lawsuit and everything that's been going on i think it's great that there's attention on it but then we want it to be that actually things change and and there's an effect so i will definitely be pushing for that as much as possible i know um uefa also you know trying to get more women in there and you talk about prize money and champions league and again this is that's that's europe so it's not something as focused on here but um we, we need change and we need more women and i i really hope that and again, that's part of, I love having, you know, a large social media following, engaging with fans. But I, part of that reason is because I want to have this platform for people to hear my voice and hear what I have to say and to, and to fight this fight. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really glad that FIFRO is doing what they're doing, especially right now, um, because a lot of players, teams, leagues are struggling during the pandemic. Um, and to answer your question. Yes. I would like to be involved in that one day. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that you mentioned maybe broadcasting even of some sorts, 
which, uh, which would be cool. I mean, certainly, you know, like we said, we've seen, uh, you've got the Instagram, you've got, I mean, even back in the Stanford days, you had the YouTube channel, right? I mean, I know I had my little flip, what was it called? Like a flip cam. And I've always done, I mean, if you Google, you would see the most embarrassing videos, <laughs> the things Dave and I, the beast mode soccer and the Stanford videos, the music videos we've done with the national team. I still think they're, you know, works of art, but you can see, you can see like the, the editing and kind of the, the technology. I was filming it all on my digital camera, then uploading everything. I don't even know how I was editing and putting music, but um, yeah, I love, I want to engage people, get people interested in the women's game. See, especially right now where we are so accessible again. The idea is that one day it's like the men and you have to talk to an agent's agent agent to even get someone's autograph. But right now we're here, you know, and I think we've embraced it in a really great way, considering that it is very, very hard um, financially. I think we've really embraced the fans and we we like being accessible and, and that that side of it does set us apart from from the men's game. Um, and I just, I love putting content out there. I mean, usually people think it's funny, but sometimes I'm like, maybe I just think this is funny, but <laughs> you know, I just, yeah. I'm an entertainer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought we could wrap up with a couple of quick, uh, quick favorites. Um, and I know on the, those feeds too, you, you're doing, um, you're doing a lot of cooking too, right? With vegan yeah, cooking. Yeah. Right? So that's my other, it's like, I, I am doing way too much. Um, <laughs> I have, I, I started the podcast after actually I got my health coaching certification and I have a business called love to eat to love. And I was going out to different clubs and schools in Sweden and talking to young girls about nutrition, sleep recovery. Um, and that was, that was a great gig. It was hard learning some of those Swedish words, but I think the girls understood me for the most part and something I'd also love to do here in the U S wasn't never going to happen in Germany, but um, I, I am very passionate about food and nutrition and I just want people to feel good. You know, it all kind of comes down to that. And so Tony and I have been really, really getting into this, the cooking and the baking and we're such huge foodies and she's introducing me to plant-based recipes and diets and we have something big in the works. Oh, I can't okay. exactly say, but you know, I'll let you know when it's time. <laughs> um, but we have big plans on the on the food front. Okay. Um, but yeah, this I mean, this has been the perfect time to to cook really, and then that's like we leave little like foil packets for each other um, when, when especially when we weren't allowed to see each other at all, and then we'd like hand off these packages so people could try our food. <laughs> Do you have a, uh, a favorite recipe at the moment or something that you're cooking? Oh my gosh. So my favorite recipe that Tony makes, um, which I have eaten so much and it's actually made me sick is her vegan funfetti cake. Funfetti is not something anyone knows about in Europe, but in college <laughs> that was the go-to. Oh my God. It was, you know, you just add what the water and the eggs or something. That's one of those but Swedish she, words that you couldn't uh, translate, right? Fun <laughs> so, um, I mean, even just having like a cake in a box, I think to them is like, well, why wouldn't you bake the cake? <laughs> no, we don't have time for that in America in college. So she has this funfetti cake that is unreal, mind blowing. Um, and then right now I'd say my favorite one that I've been doing um, aside from my fish tacos, which I, I shared on, on Orlando's channels when I, when I made those, I just made a sweet potato fritter 
which is, and it's baked, so it's healthier. And I'm just like grating my sweet potatoes and it's vegan. So all my vegan friends can, can make yeah. it. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get into like lots of veg right now. So that's my go-to at the moment. Okay, nice. I am not a vegan, but I, we have just started making a sweet potato, black bean taco kind of thing. It's very good. So that sounds great. I can, uh, I'll share the recipe, but, uh, Thank you. do you, do you have a, um, what about all this content we've talked about back in the day? I mean, do you have a piece that stands out to you, a video that you're like, I wish I never published that? Not, <laughs> I wish I never published. I mean, okay. This is the one this was, and I just watched it again and I was texting Kelly and I was like, damn it. I'm a genius. <laughs> to Kelly and Allie's corner where we're like, have these identical lives. And we were, we had our two beds in the same room and then we would drive together wearing the same thing. And that was like legit real. And then we would come home, eat the same dinner together and sit on the couch. And then we were like, Oh, did you have a good day? You know, like we did the exact same thing and it was like, we were living the dream. And I just, I can't even imagine sharing a bedroom with one of my <laughs> friends right now, but that video. And then I think also, I love the, the Royals ones, the one with the football ferns with Rosie white um, as the star. And that was also, it was on TV in New Zealand and it was just people, people were like, that's so cute. That's so funny. And other people were like, who are these people? <laughs> but every video, like at the time, it was so special and I thought it was so great and so cool. And then like a couple years later, you're like, oh my, what, <laughs> what was I thinking? Yeah, yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to pull up some links um, <laughs> to share with those with people. Uh, I guess ending it, ending it on the, maybe on the field memory. You know, we've mentioned so many different players on this, this pod here uh, that you've played with played in a lot of different places. You've had the experience of World Cups, Olympics, Champions League. Um, you know, maybe not a best or favorite player or team or anything, but is there a memory that endures through these playing years that maybe, you know, is particularly special to you? Um, I Say the most it. difficult one for the end here. Yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about um, the national team and and – club and I think one of my Champions League memories that stands out that's like a painful memory but at the same time I think was really cool um, was when Rosengord we played against Wolfsburg and Wolfsburg you know are the reigning champs and and we went there and I believe that it was 1-1 or 0-0 so we tied there and then we came home and it was the most thrilling, crazy, and this Wolfsburg team, I mean, what a powerhouse, you know? And, and we ended up tying 3-3. So we lost, of course, on aggregate. But I kind of just felt like this is why I came to Europe. This is what Champions League is. You know, you see it, of course, in the men's game, and, and you grow up with that. But to actually be part of it and that whole, like, yeah, the – that, that the stakes get higher every time one team scores, that the other team has to score two more goals or, you know, and, and then the, 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 it was just like standing room only at this, at our stadium, like such a small stadium in the middle of the city in Malma. And it was just lit up and my parents were there. Um, and obviously it was heartbreaking, but at the same time, it was, I mean, to tie Wolfsburg 3-3, you're like, I mean, it was, it was incredible. And that was, that was, I think that was the quarterfinal. Um, and I, 
so with Chelsea, that was the first time um, that any of my teams had gone farther than the quarterfinal. But I do think that that game and that experience and that excitement, and that's, again, is something that I hold so dear. And that's, again, something that is pushing me to really showing people that women's football is so worthy. We're so worthy, you know, <laughs> and we're so valuable. And and it drives me insane that that people – I won't, I won't just say men, but that a lot of men soccer fans don't appreciate what we have and like for who we are and what we do to not always compare it. But I do think the excitement and the feeling and it is comparable and what you saw at the World Cup, the drama and yes, while the actual technique and the speed and the strength isn't going to be the same, um, every, it has everything else, you know, and it's in our own way. But in that game, really, really, I felt that. And I want everyone else to feel that. Yeah. Champions League seems to be the, the big draw for a lot of players going over to Europe, which is something that, that doesn't exist here. So hopefully, uh, hopefully something comparable one day or a Club World Cup or something. Um, yeah, you never know. Yeah. So uh, really enjoyed, you know, going back through uh, a trip down memory lane. You probably have umpteen more examples of things through the, uh, the years and the career, but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Ali Riley, thank you for, for joining me on kicking back. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to kicking back a podcast by the equalizer. If you like what you heard, and we certainly hope you did, please go ahead and rate and review this pod. The more you do that, the easier it is for other people to discover this show and hear compelling stories from some of the most interesting people in women's soccer. Keep an eye out for our next episode when we kick it with our latest guest. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.